All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. Coming up on the show today, it's going to be an informative show after I get done yammering for a couple minutes here. But Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation Area, that's a website, uh, he's going to come on and break down some Wisconsin state politics, including the shared revenue deal that was passed by, well, signed by Governor Evers yesterday. We, we learned about that. Governor Evers then came to, well, he didn't really come to town again. He came to Stoddard, but I feel like Governor Evers really loves it over here. He was in Stoddard. I feel like he's been to the area about six times this year. It could be more than that, but um, yeah, he's, and, I, and you know what? I don't know. I, I would love to have a tally of who or like where, what areas Governor Evers visits the most. Because I want to say, the, aside from Madison, I want to say that the lacrosse area is probably way up there on the list. Um, before before we get into, uh, before I get Dan Schaefer on with me, I did I did just tour the uh, lacrosse, City of Lacrosse's wastewater treatment plant. And uh, it, that was interesting. <laughs> it was it, it was both informative and then like you're just listening to Jared Greeno talk and you're like, yeah, I think that's the word for poop. I think you're saying that phrase and that's just the word for, and I don't say poop in my head. I say the S word, but um, are you talking about bleep here? Is that what you're talking about? We take the, and, and so every, all while he's talking and explaining the $68 million facility, right? Like if you don't know, we're building up, we're like reinventing the wastewater treatment plant. And, and uh, while every, while he's just explaining some of the things, we're touring the building, right? So we're going through different things. And he's like, this is where we dry the bio, blah, 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 blah. He gives like a, some technical name. And, I, and just in my head, I'm like, so you put the bleep up there and that's where it dries. And then you can send it off and make it into fertilizer or something like that. So, But it was, it was a rather interesting tour. It was a little hot to be walking around out there and uh, a little smelly. I don't know. I didn't get to ask. I, I do plan on having uh, Mr. Greeno on to talk about the wastewater treatment plant, get him in studio or maybe get him on the phone. Cause I did ask him one question because I, as we were touring one of the rooms, one of the rooms is the, like, this is okay. We're in here and the stuff, the bleep comes through here and they literally dry it. And I'm like, is this the stinkiest room of the facility? Is this where you would want to be least? And he was like, yeah, kind of. It's like, it's kind of one of the stinkiest ones. And then he's like, yeah, the people that work in here, usually they take the scent with them home and it gets into their clothes. And I just thought, oh, man. And I literally said, well, is this like the highest paying job? Whoever works in this building here, is this the highest paid person or one of the higher paid pe- people that works in the wastewater treatment facility? Because it needs to be if you're taking the scent home with you in your clothes. I had a I had a friend in college that lived on a farm, and he definitely took the scent of farm with him to college because when he came there, you could definitely all his clothes smelled like barn, you know. And it wasn't it wasn't like the worst smell. I've grown up my uncles own farms and stuff, so but it was just like eh, that's the barn. You definitely live on a farm. You definitely brought the farm with you to the dorm, and it was kind of weird. So this person that works in that room where they're drying the bleep. Uh, that seemed to be maybe the worst job, maybe not the worst job, but like the worst conditions as you leave that facility, if you're going to smell like that. Anyway, we're going to talk some state politics when we come back with Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. On the phone with me now is Dan Schaefer. He is, are you the owner of the website the recombobulation area the ceo the czar what, what would he call you dan the the, the editor-in-chief 
I think all of those apply, but I'm, uh, I'm the founder of the weekly opinion column and online publication called The Recombobulation Area, uh, where I cover news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. And Dan's an independent journalist, and he's been covering the state legislature in multiple facets. Uh, obviously, based in Milwaukee, he's really into the shared revenue plan, where it sits in Milwaukee. Dan, I don't, you, you're going to have to tell me why I would care on this side of the state in La Crosse why I would care about the shared revenue plan when it pertains to Milwaukee, but we can get into that in a little bit. Um, so why can we just, can you just decipher why do you call your website the recombobulation area? That's hard to spell if I'm just Googling it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, you know, it's a, it's a tricky word. And when I tell people uh, who are not familiar with the, with the actual recombobulation area, it always takes a little bit of explaining, but in the Milwaukee airport, there is a space after you go through security, um, if any of your listeners have, have been to the Milwaukee airport, you're, you're probably familiar with this. You go through security, and then you're kind of gathering your bags, putting things together. And they have these signs up after you go through security that say the recombobulation area. Uh, now, this is a very Milwaukee-specific thing. There are no other airports in the world that have signs up uh, for that say recombobulation area. So I c- kind of took that locally specific uh, kind of beloved, uh, you know, wording there uh, that we have at the airport. And I applied it to a political opinion column because I think, uh, you know, it, a lot of what I try to do is we're not breaking news. We're not, uh, you know, trying to get a, get ahead of the, uh, the daily newspapers or the TV stations when it comes to breaking news about this. But what we like to do at the recombobulation area, whether it's me and my weekly opinion column or, or contributors like Phil Rocco, at, uh, Marquette professor who's been writing a lot about the shared revenue deal, uh, we try, kind of try to, you know, we get the, the, the news cycle in Wisconsin can be very discombobulating. So we try to put things together and recombobulate uh, with analysis and opinion and all sorts of different things uh, through our uh, publication. And now it makes perfect sense. And, and really, recombobulation is pretty phonetic if you just want to spell it. It's not that hard to spell. No, I exactly. think about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So in, in doing this, is this your living then as an independent journalist? Do you make a living doing this? It is, yeah. So I've been, you know, a journalist working in mostly in the Milwaukee area for uh, for over a decade now. I've worked at Biz Times Milwaukee and Milwaukee Business Journal, Milwaukee Magazine. Uh, freelanced at a number of publications, and a few years ago, while I was working as a stay-at-home dad, uh, I, you know, instead of freelancing, which I had been doing, I kind of wanted to start something of my own, get back to the. Uh, you know, kind of writing with a perspective, with a voice. Uh, that was that was something I did early in my career, uh, and I, I had always wanted to get back to that. So I, I started that uh, a number of years ago now, and as a part-time thing that I was doing instead of freelancing while I was a stay-at-home dad uh, with my young daughters, and I have since grown that pretty significantly uh, over the last couple of years. And now it is, yep, it is. This is my full-time job running the the recombobulation area. So and and people can go to your recombobulation area. Just Google it, and the, and it's a Substack. So you essentially, if you're getting supported by people subscribing to your website, subscribing to your email, and then whether they want to the, read the, the the articles for free or they can contribute, right? Yeah, that's right. It's a uh, it's a reader funded publication. We are funded by by monthly and yearly subscriptions. Most of our content uh, is free is is available, you know, uh, without a paywall or anything like that. Most of our subscribers are subscribing as a way to support the publication, as a way to give us the opportunity to do this full time, to bring on contributors, to add new projects, do new things. Uh, you know, our reporting uh, has been extensive on a number of issues over the past few years. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the, the subscribers, uh, we have, we've got a lot of passionate subscribers, uh, and that has grown pretty significantly over the past year as I've been able to do this full time. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're interested in a new perspective on news and politics in Wisconsin, I'd encourage you to check it out. And you could start by becoming a free subscriber or take the leap to uh, become a paid subscriber. It's just five bucks a month or $50 for the year. Does it, is it one of those where you become a free subscriber and then you, you read all of the articles, because you're really deep diving on a lot of the stuff the state legislature does. And then as I'm taking in this information, I feel a little bit itchy, a little bit guilty about reading all this stuff for free. And then, OK, five bucks it is. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way that we've done it. We also, you know, we do a number of sales and promotions to, to try to get people the, you know, an opportunity to subscribe at a lower rate if they're not uh, interested in becoming, you know, taking the, the full $50 right away. So we did a sale earlier this year on April 14th for Milwaukee Day to celebrate the 414. Uh, we'll be doing, you know, we always do a Thanksgiving sale. We'll probably be doing something this summer as well. Uh, and, and so, so there are many opportunities to subscribe. All right. So that's how you could support Dan. Now let's get into what Dan does. Uh, would you say, uh, you, okay, you've been covering, have you been covering Madison politics for a while? Yep, I've been, you know, covering news and politics. You know, most of what I've did before starting the recombobulation area, you know, in Milwaukee, covering a lot of locally specific issues. But but obviously, you know, the relationship that Milwaukee has with the state. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, there are overlap with, uh, you know, things happening at the state level and things happening in Milwaukee. So one of the things that I did when I was at Milwaukee Magazine a number of years ago was cover the Bucks Arena debate. Uh, and so kind of through that was it was able to start, you know, covering the state legislature a little, in a little bit more robust way to understand that a little bit more. And, you know, for the past few years through this push for, uh, you know, a new sales tax in Milwaukee, increase in shared revenue. You know, I really think the, the relationship that Milwaukee has with state government is something that is a really, really big deal and is really underexplored. So I kind of started by, you know, taking a look at that. Uh, exploring that in a in a different way, but also I think uh, I think the state legislature in Wisconsin, it's just an incredibly powerful, super important governing body. And I think you know, with the you know so many uh, traditional news outlets being forced to cut back in their coverage of so many different things in so many different ways, there are stories that go missing uh, with that. And so um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of different coverage of the state legislature. One of the things that that uh, I did last year during the election cycle was I previewed all of the races on the ballot for the Wisconsin state legislature so that I previewed all 116 races that were on the ballot uh, in the state assembly and state Senate. So looking at this, not only from a policy perspective in, in years like this, when it's a budget year, we're talking about shared revenue, talking about all these big issues that we're dealing with, uh, but also in election years as well, trying to really show you know, the way things work uh, in, in the state legislature through that lens as well. When you say you previewed it, did you talk to all of them? I talked to many of them. I talked to a lot of people who are, you know, organizing and behind the scenes and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't, you know, go through and talk to every last legislature, every last candidate running. Oh, for sure. I used a number of things. And I just bring that up because I, I had a hard time getting just certain candidates in my area to, to respond to a questionnaire. In fact, I had some that didn't respond to it at all because why would they gerrymandering? <laughs> so they don't, exactly. they don't need to put their name yeah. out there, but um, okay. And I ask you about like your coverage of, of uh, Madison politics, because like where, where would you say we are in this 
like the shared revenue plan gets passed. Can you put that into scope of like things that the legislature and the governor, you know, kind of combined on to do? I mean, from the mayors in this area, they say this is like kind of what the governor said too, like historic. It is absolutely, absolutely a historic deal. Uh, you know, the first real change and in increase in local government funding in about two decades. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's still there's still a long way to go on this issue. And I think, you know, Democrats who maybe even ended up voting for the plan, you know, many of them said this is this can't be the end of the line. Uh, and, and it doesn't fully address the way that local government has been underfunded and defunded uh, through the past you know, two decades. And like the last time that this was really addressed was in 2003. Um, you know, Democrats didn't really address it when they had power in the late, two, late 2000s. And then since Republicans have taken control in Madison, you know, when, when Scott Walker was governor and throughout the time that Robin Voss has been the leader of the state assembly, you know, they have significantly cut local funds to local government in budget cycle after budget cycle. Uh, and it kind of reached a point this year where it, it, we could no longer ignore this problem. Well, and, and I, you know, and, and Dan, I bring I I, uh, I I thought it was interesting I, talking to the mayor in La Crosse. Hey, when does it become a problem for well, for Republicans who have control of the legislature? Right. When does that become a problem? Oh, when when county governments, when when local governments have to essentially like lay off police officers. It has to get to the point because I said, what if all these cities had to lay off parks and rec workers or, or, or disband their parks and rec department? Would we have a shared revenue plan? No, it's got to get to like fire and police. That's exactly right. And I think we've seen over the past few few years, you know, so many local governments have had to turn to referenda to, you know, fund basic services at the local level, fund public safety, fund schools, things like that. Um and, you know, obviously here in Milwaukee, the, the police funding is obvious, is, is always a very big issue. And last year going into the city's budget, you know, they, they were really only propped up by the funds coming from the federal government through the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, without that, the city would have had to make devastating cuts across the board uh, to, you know, a number of services and, and police being one of them. And, um, you know, I think that in many ways kind of forced the issue uh, for for people to you know for legislators to begin to to, to finally uh, address this long overdue simmering crisis that was about to boil over. All right, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Dan Schaefer, the the czar of the Recombobulation Area website. Uh, if you want to you want to subscribe or if you want to go check it out, uh, I want to get a little bit into the shared revenue, but also I want to talk about childcare, which I think you're working on right now. And then, do you, Dan, do you how how are you on like the UW system fight over d- diversity, equity, and inclusion? That one seems odd to me. Yeah, that's a strange one as well. I haven't covered the, the UW system type stuff quite as closely, but uh, obviously a huge issue and, and some decisions that are pretty frustrating. Okay, uh, may, over the past may, few weeks, may, Republicans. Yeah, maybe we'll put that one on the back burner. But the shared revenue plan. I want to. What I want to do, Dan, is I just want to. What's wrong with the shared revenue plan? That's where I want to go because everything that's right, that's boring to talk about. We got to talk about what's wrong because we got to be mad about it. But anyway, we'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. On the phone with me, we're continuing our conversation with Dan Schaefer, the editor in chief of the Recombobulation Area. Uh, that's a, a, a news website covering. I guess we, we, do you cover politics exclusively, Dan? 
Is there any like I I, guess I could scroll down, I suppose, but it, it seems like almost all politics. It's a lot of news and politics, that's for sure. Uh, I, you know, well, occasionally, uh, you know, I'm a big Milwaukee Bucks fan, so I'll write up like a Bucks column here and there. That's what I was just uh, going to ask. A lot of policy type stuff in Milwaukee area as well. Like I did a long series a couple of years ago on the proposed widening of the interstate here in, in Milwaukee. So not ju- not just politics. Uh, but but definitely a lot of politics. Well, as a sports we'll writer, be doing a lot more politics as we look ahead to twenty twenty four as well. Right, as a sports writer for a decade, and then uh, an NBA fan, uh, I could vent about the Bucks. But when you bring up the the Milwaukee Bucks stadium deal, can you just do you do you know like what is? Can you explain the fight over the Milwaukee Brewers spending? Because it seems like Republicans were mad that Governor Evers brought it up, and they're like, "Wait a minute, we wanted to, we wanted credit for giving a billionaire uh, owner of a Brewers team." Uh, money to fix the stadium and then then republicans are like we're going to do a better plan and it's going to be longer that the brewers will stay here and then after that it was uh no we're not going to talk about that anymore yeah it sounds like the talks have kind of uh fizzled a little bit about about how the brewers stadium funding uh is going to come about um but yeah i think the you know i think they were really fast tracking this plan evers brought it up the legislative leaders wanted to kind of do it their way, as they so often do uh, in the state of Wisconsin. So you rarely see Robin Voss say anything like, hey, that's a good idea from the Democrats. Let's let's keep building on that. You know, it always has to come from within his caucus so he can take credit for it. Um, but uh, but yeah, those those talks seem to have stalled a little bit. And I think, you know, unlike the Bucks arena, this proposal to fund, uh, you know, improvements at American Family Field has not come with the larger goal of transforming the area around it uh, that we saw with the Bucks Arena. You know, you you think back two years ago when the Bucks won the uh, won the finals and those images of hundreds of thousands of people in downtown Milwaukee crowding the Deer District. Uh, it, th- those plans for larger transformation really came to fruition uh, in the west side of Milwaukee's downtown. Uh, we don't really have the same type of um, focus in this plan to fund the Brewer Stadium. It's just, you know, giving a few hundred million dollars for maintenance, for upgrades, for things like that. Uh, but it doesn't come with that same larger goal for, for transformation that the Bucks Arena proposal did. So is, I think that is perhaps the key difference at the moment right now. Is is another difference, and tell me if I'm wrong, do the, the Bucks owners own the stadium versus the Brewers owner, owners don't own the stadium, they just own the team, and therefore, like, the Milwaukee County or the state of Wisconsin is kind of, hey, you ha- this is your stadium. You fix it. We just play here. That's a little bit of a, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's unlike the Bucks Arena. The Bucks would do own, more or less own the stadium. Uh, you know, there's kind of, they're kind of, part of it is looped in with the governing body of the Wisconsin Center District that also includes the Convention Center uh, and a couple other things in downtown Milwaukee. Uh, but yeah, it's unlike that, it's, you know, the, the Brewers, the Bucks Stadium was, funded almost half with private dollars the brewer stadium has basically no private dollars uh going into it for for these types of big funding packages can i solve it by just going hey, brewers owners or owner right it's just one guy can you uh we'll just give you the stadium you just you just stay here we'll give you the stadium <laughs> and then and then let us own the crap around it and maybe give us some of the naming rights or something but uh i don't even know if he can build around it it's right by the highway but I mean, problem solved, right? Instead of giving him $230 million or $250 million to fix it, here's the stadium. It costs $250 million. There you go. I haven't heard that yet. That's a, that's a pretty creative approach. I like it. 
Yeah, I'm just solving problems. All right. Um, shared revenue plan. I want to. We're talking with Dan Schaefer, the re, uh, editor in chief of Recombobulationary. I don't know. People call you that. That's a, like an old newspaper phrase. Yeah, I like it. All right. Go with it. Uh, and and diving into politics. Okay, shared revenue plan. What's wrong with it? Can we just point uh, to the things that are wrong with it? Aside from the the county non-binding referendums, we've banned counties from not being able to put referendums on their on their uh, ballot. But the, the state legislature can do that if they want. The governor can't unless the state legislature says it's okay. But counties and cities, you can't do that. Uh, anything else that's really just – that's that's goofy. That's goofy in the shared revenue yeah, plan. Why do we sign that? Yeah, you know, so I, I wrote a piece about this uh, last week as it was coming up for debate. And, and my general thought on it was, you know, this is a very flawed bill. It has a lot of problems. But let's pass it so we can live to fight another day. Because without it, and particularly here in Milwaukee – Without the additional revenue through the shared revenue, without having the option for the local sales tax or the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County, we're facing just absolutely catastrophic cuts uh, of city and county government uh, in Milwaukee. So without that, that's what we'd be facing. But with the bill, the the bill not only adds funding to local government, it also really reimagines the relationship between state and local governments. There are a lot of policy requirements of local government built into this bill. And I think that really runs against the very spirit of why, you know, we have these programs for shared revenue, which is to empower local governments to make the decisions that best suit their constituents at the local level. It's really about local control. And the initial proposal from Governor Evers when he put this into the budget was essentially a clean proposal. So it was a proposal that that had funding for local governments, but it did not have these requirements of local governments, whether it was funding, you know, requiring certain levels of funding for public safety. In Milwaukee, there's a whole host of Milwaukee-specific things that are not applied to any other community in the state. And so it's really more than just a funding deal. It's a it's a policy deal as well. And, and it, there's a lot of problematic aspects of that. And I think, you know, in Milwaukee, they, they Put in all these things that you know you can't. Uh, uh, they're basically stripping all power away from the citizen-led fire and police commission. Uh, they're making it so they can't fund an expansion of the streetcar. There are all these different things about you know DEI and government and all these boogeyman's that uh, that the Republicans like to put out there uh, for for what city government is doing. But it, it's frustrating because they the state government is essentially trying to solve a problem of their own creation. And in year after year, they have defunded the city of Milwaukee by hundreds of millions of dollars by cutting this shared revenue, by blocking the city and county's ability to raise a sales tax, which almost every other municipality of Milwaukee's size is able to do across the country. Uh, so it really, you know, the, there are a myriad of problems with this. And I think uh, much of it, you know, could end up in litigation. Could it could end up in the courts? We saw some folks in Milwaukee here yesterday, as as Governor Evers signed the bill in Wausau. Some some people in the Milwaukee Common Council were saying, you know, there there are going to be lawsuits for these locally specific pr- provisions that targeted Milwaukee because those are really problematic and run against the very spirit of local control in Wisconsin. So I, I you know, there are going to be. There's, there's going to be votes at the local level in Milwaukee to make sure these sales taxes are ultimately passed. You know, I think there are going to be some some lawsuits filed as well. Well, that's the whole point of, of 
government is to get each other fighting one another to so the lawyers can sue each other so that the lawyers can make a whole bunch of money. The lawyers always stay winning. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, books, no matter what happens in Wisconsin. There's always going to be lawsuits. Would uh, you, any major piece of legislation always ends up in front of the court. So one of your articles is just seven takeaways from the final shared revenue bill. And one of the one of the seven takeaways, if I now I scrolled away from it, um, the, the county municipal aid increases came far closer to Republicans initial bill than it did to Evers proposal. Is that because if you took Milwaukee out of the equation, would Evers would have would Evers would have would he had more bargaining power because Milwaukee's kind of like this. We can't let Milwaukee fail. Right. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, you know, I but but I think it's just the the reality of the way that that the current Republican controlled state legislature operates. Like they, you needed to um, needed to address their needs as well, and they have a lot of leverage in this situation. I think you know the governor kind of threw around the veto threat early in the negotiations for this bill, uh, saying the initial proposal from. Uh, from Republicans was would not he would not sign the bill as initially introduced. You know, Evers put put out a proposal for for shared revenue that had um, a much greater amount going to local municipalities. And and we've you know uh, you mentioned that that article uh, that we published today at the Recombobulation Area from uh, Marquette Professor Phil Rocco, and in, he has really done a lot of work comparing the initial proposal from Tony Evers to the bill that was ultimately introduced by the Republicans. And the Republicans had just a lot of leverage here. And, and you know, they could have, could have walked away from this at any point and, and uh, you know, left Milwaukee and the large left communities across the state uh, wondering when they would finally get a solution on shared revenue. And, and it was kind of a now or never moment. Uh, another piece that Phil wrote uh, for us last week uh, after the bill was signed was just talking about how the timing of everything really pushed this in motion and got this uh, got this deal done and over the finish line. Well, the other the other part of that, too, is they, they pulled the shared revenue thing out of the budget process, right? They're like, we're going to do this separate so that we have more control over it. Because if they leave it in the budget, then Evers, I think, could have just crossed some stuff off with what everyone loves to say is powerful veto pen. Yeah, and you know he has that powerful veto pen for line item uh, items in the budget, but he would not. He would have had to basically give an up or down vote on the uh, on the shared revenue bill. Again, the, the Republicans had a lot of leverage here, and they and they really used it. You know, um, you know, kind of pulling in one of their other priorities to to you know fund uh, fund vouchers as well. Um, so you, you know, it's a it's a complicated minefield to try and get to any kind of legislation. <laughs> passed through uh through the robin voss legislature but um you know like i like i said i wrote in my piece last week let's let's pass this imperfect compromise bill uh and continue to fight another day because i think you know if we if we have the possibility of getting new maps in the state of wisconsin um you know through a legal challenge uh that may become before the wisconsin supreme court when janet protosawitz is seated later this summer uh that's going to be something to watch there's going to be you know, uh, that will open up some other avenues for challenges to other kind of local preemption laws, other separation of powers issues uh, that there have been simmering in the state for some time that could uh, have another look if we had now that we have, you know, a coming in as a liberal majority on the Wisconsin Supreme Supreme Court as well. And then I think, you know, when you're talking about the Milwaukee specific things, the sales tax, 
Um, you know, this is something that, that local leaders have been fighting for for quite some time. Uh, and this will allow the city to really deal with some of its biggest budgetary issues, which is having a source of revenue independent of what's happening in Madison, because Madison uh, and the state legislature there is, has often been hostile to Milwaukee and having this local revenue source that can pay off some of the pension debt that is there, you know, just specific to Milwaukee, because Milwaukee being a first class city is in a different pension, uh, has a different pension than, than uh, public employees in the rest of the state. Um, you know, this is going to get, put Milwaukee in a position to thrive, uh, even if some of the onerous policy requirements are very uncomfortable for, for a whole lot of the people here. All right. I did. I, I don't know. Like, can you just explain this? Though? Number four in that one, a quirk in the program's design will create a trust fund with millions in unused funds. Is that important? It seems weird. Yeah. I, it this seems complicated. Kind of a piece of this shared revenue bill that has really flown under the radar uh, throughout the process. They, they set aside $300 million in the bill for what's called an innovation fund. And this innovation fund is, is essentially to it, – it's something that Robin Voss talked about as something to look at some sort of consolidation efforts uh, yeah. between local governments, privatization stuff. We, we have now, one of these here. We have one of these here, the fire department in La Crosse and the Holman Fire Department, which is like – there's a town in between that. Onalaska is in between Holman. And, so Onala- uh, La Crosse and Holman kind of consolidated into one fire department for a little while, and then it didn't work. And so they they disbanded essentially. Holman went back to their own fire department with the fire chief and and lacrosse you know status quo with what they were doing. Um, but but that's kind of what the, this is. But that's that's probably not going to. This is where the trust fund comes in, right? Like because not a lot of people are going to be able to do this and keep it going, and therefore not use any of the money that's set aside for this. Right. It's very confusing what this fund actually is, and I think one of the interesting pieces about it is that there's more money that the Republicans put into this innovation fund than the total number in their initial proposal that they were putting towards local government across the state. You know, there's, I think it was around $275 million that they were adding uh, to local government in their initial proposal, and this innovation fund is $300 million. And we don't really know exactly what its goals are, what it's looking for. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's just like, yes, we're going to use this to, to drive efficiencies and consolidation and all those well, different then, aspects, but but we don't really know how it's going to be used, how it's going to be held to account. Well, also, uh, and it's, it has totally flown under the radar in this process. Also, if if I consolidate my police department with my next door neighbor's police department, then I'm probably going to consolidate some of the number of officers, and therefore I'm going to lose funding because I don't keep don't retain the number of officers. I think that was a provision. You have to keep the number of officers you have. Yeah, that's exactly right. They have to keep a certain level of, of police funding to be able to, re- to, in order to receive these new shared revenue payments, and it kind of flies in the face of those consolidation efforts as well. Okay. So, you know, uh, <laughs> there's there's going to be uh, some confusing questions as as that ultimately gets implemented, because I think you know so much of the focus about this bill was about you know just the who says what and where, and as we're covering it through it, as it goes through this process. But I think an underexplored aspect of it that we tried to shine a light on at the recombobulation area was pieces of the bill like this, that we don't really know how it's going to be governed or organized or spent. Yeah, it's like one of them, hey, I got an idea. Oh, that sounds cool. Let's put it in there. Do you really know what it is? No, not, uh, it's kinda, I kind of know what it is. Um, all right, before we wrap up with Dan Schaefer, the editor-in-chief of the recombobulation area, um, 
they the, the out of the budget, I believe, Republicans stripped like COVID. Was it state funding, COVID state funding, or COVID federal funding that was going towards childcare? Yeah. So this is a this is a pretty big deal. I've been following this pretty closely. Uh, so what happened last week in the budget committee was that Tony Evers, in his in his budget proposal, proposed extending a program called Child Care Counts. So Child Care Counts was funded uh, during you know. Created kind of in various forms over the past few years, but when pandemic funding arrived for, for child care facilities across the state, this program was the one that ultimately administered it. Um, and the, the thing that happened with it was the program worked. It, upped, it increased wages uh, for people in child care. It made it so, you know, the, the rates charged to parents and families uh, weren't, did not rise considerably. And for the first time in 15 years in Wisconsin, it stabilized the child care industry and fewer child care centers were closing. And now what Governor Evers proposed was extending that program to make it a permanent state state funded project. So he proposed $340 million to make this a, a permanent program, make this program that worked, that demonstrably worked uh, for the past two years, upping wages, keeping child care centers open, uh, keeping costs down for families. And now and what the Republicans did when it came up in the Joint Finance Committee last week was they delayed a vote and helped all day into the night and eventually cast their votes, eliminating all of the $340 million proposed for child care in a 2.30 a.m. vote. No, I like early, to say, last Friday. No, Dan, I like to say at bar time. They did it at bar time. <laughs> they did it at bar time. Yeah. Uh, and so, they, you know, obviously they didn't want people paying attention uh, to what they were doing in that vote in the middle of the night last week. And, and since there's been a really strong response from families, from, from child care advocates around the state. I was at a rally yesterday at the Capitol in Madison where, you know, a whole bunch of different child care providers, parents, families, uh, we're speaking in front of the Capitol advocating for this funding to get reinserted into the budget because the reality is without this funding, about 25 percent of all child care facilities in the state of Wisconsin will close. And the majority of places will have to raise rates. The majority of places that will stay open will have to raise rates on families, uh, will have to cut back or, or flatline wages uh, for the people who are working in this industry, taking care of our youngest Wisconsinites uh, who are in child care, you know, ages zero to five. Um, and this is a huge cost uh, on families, and it is about to get a whole lot worse uh, I, if we don't. I don't think it is, Dan. In. Here's my theory. I'll give you another theory. While I also think that we should just give the Brewer Stadium to the guy that owns the, the Brewers, um, Republicans did this to create an uproar so that we're all we're all in tune with the dilemma. Now, you've kind of explained it. Wow, 25% of child care facilities will close without this funding. And now what they'll do is wait maybe a week, and then they'll introduce their own bill to fund child care that doesn't have any... They don't want to be... They don't want to be infected by COVID. They don't want anything that happened while COVID happened to be a, a thing that they approve that, that goes continues. They want their own thing, so they'll call it their own thing, and it'll be like the Republican Child Care Funding Act, and then Evers will have to sign it, and then they'll take all the credit. That's what will happen. We get this uproar, and then they'll say, look what we did. We did a thing, and it's not infected by a, you know, a virus. 
Well, they have proposed this loan program. So instead of a $340 million project program to keep this going, they proposed a $15 million loan program, uh, which as, when I talked to the child care providers at the rally yesterday, pretty insulted. They were pretty insulted by that suggestion because child care industry being what it is, it's not like it's not like a loan is going to to be able to easily be paid back, you know, by a increase in revenue. You know, the the idea is to keep the the rates low for for parents and families. Uh, so the loan program that they're proposing is is a really problematic one. Well, uh, so who knows if they're going to come back with with another proposal uh, to address childcare in Wisconsin separate from the budget? Um, but without it, I think you know we we've had hundreds of. Uh, uh, hundreds of child care facilities that have had to make some really difficult decisions. You know, if you're a parent of, of a child who goes to child care, you've likely already heard from your provider about the threat of, uh, of what this getting, gutting this program would do uh, in, in the immediate future. And, you know, it's, I, I really think the ripple effect of this is going to create problems in the workforce small businesses in the state's economy beyond just the ability to provide essential care uh, for for children in Wisconsin. It's it's going to create a whole host of problems that we are just not ready for. You didn't let me, like, added to that bill that I just proposed to you, which sounds ludicrous, and it sounds like to you, to you to what you're saying, it doesn't sound like the Republicans will do this. But added to that bill, they're going to allow 14 year olds to also work in childcare facilities. While they're also going to be able to work and serve alcohol in bars, these 14 year olds will be able to work in childcare facilities. They're just going to lower the age for child labor. So we'll have child labor in childcare facilities. Problem solved. We could pay them seven yeah, twenty five an hour. They they want child care, but they want child labor, but not child care. Right. That's Dan Schaefer. He is the editor-in-chief and writer. I should say you're also the writer, a writer on the, the website, the Recombobulation Area. Uh, check it out. Subscribe to it. Uh, Dan, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks so, thanks so much for having me. All right, we'll be back after this. All right, that's going to wrap it up. For a Wednesday of Lacrosse Talk PM, thanks again to Dan Schaefer of the Recombobulation Area. Go check him out. He's writing a lot of good articles on Madison politics, especially pertaining to Milwaukee. Even the AP is is really deep diving on the Milwaukee side of things where, you know what, like we're over here. Does Milwaukee really affect us that much? But it's the biggest city in the state. We probably should protect it a little bit. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we're going to probably get a little bit more of an update on how the state legislature is doing when Jill Billings joins us. She's the assembly rep here that represents La Crosse and I believe Shelby. Uh, so she'll join us tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for listening.